Take ORFM Dunedin with you wherever you go with podcasts and streaming of primo local content. Download the accessmedia.nz app for free from Google Play and the Apple App Store. This program was first broadcast on ORFM Dunedin and made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. everyone. I hope you're all enjoying whatever it is that you've been doing on this lovely Dunedin Saturday and I hope that you can take time to grab a coffee, put your feet up and have a listen to our stories today. I'm Val Cayford, your host for this episode in the third series of short stories from the Basement Writers. We're a very mixed bunch but we all love to write and I'm sure that you will find something to like amongst the stories in today's episode. We come to you in association with Literacy Aotearoa. Literacy changes lives. Improve your skills and find your voice at Literacy Aotearoa. Give them a call on 477-2055. They have an amazing selection of free courses available and will make you feel welcome. Most writers love to read, and I'm certainly no exception. As a young adult, I was a hopeless romantic, and historical romances were what I loved to get absorbed in. I drove my mother nuts reading under the covers until all hours of the night. Now I prefer murder mysteries and make my poor husband sleep with the light on. And and I love to read the likes of Tess Gerritsen and Tammy Hogue, but the lure of Jane Austen and Louisa May Alcott has never really faded. The Regency and Victorian eras still attract me with their romantic fashions and dashing heroes. Although if I'd been born in Victorian times, I would have most certainly been the scullery maid as opposed to the fancy lady of the house. I don't know about you, but I love dressing up as well. It's all part of that same fantasy world. From my primary school days when mum made me princess and ballerina costumes for the annual fancy dress ball that we kids just couldn't wait for, to sewing tutus, power rangers and pirate costumes for my children and then my grandchildren. And eventually my own costume hire. I've loved it all. Dressing up people and seeing them take on the personalities of the costume I've put together was great fun. Now that I've retired, I get to make them for myself. I've joined a group of like-minded women who love the same eras and we sew replicas of those fabulous outfits. The group is called Images of the Past and if you're ever at the Dunedin Railway Station when there's a cruise ship in port, you're bound to see a couple of us there in costume adding to the atmosphere of our wonderful station, having our photo taken and chatting to tourists. We raise funds for the children's wards at the hospital, putting together parades for clubs and rest homes as well. Great fun, and an even better cause. If you'd like to book us for a parade of Regency, Victorian and Edwardian costumes, check out Images of the Past on Facebook. But getting back to writing... A world to get lost in is always there inside your head. It's putting it down on paper that takes time and discipline. I watched Joe in Little Woman the other day writing her story at the end of the movie. Day after day, night after night, she wrote, hardly stopping to eat or to rest. It totally consumed her. Oh, for that commitment and the time. It can be done though, but it's up to you to make it happen. Half an hour becomes one hour and suddenly you've been writing all afternoon and just want to keep going. Little ideas become short stories. 
And before you know it, your short stories become a book. Big or small, they all count. And it's so easy to self-publish these days. Well, that's enough of my rambling for now. Anala's going to read for you next. Anala's the youngest member of our group and an amazing young dad and an avid environmentalist. Anal, what have you got for us today? Hi, well, thank you. Today I'm I'm telling a story and my struggle to make compost and grow comp- comp- pumpkin in my house, like in a rented house in here in Dunedin. Life as a migrant always has different stories. There are a few examples of my struggle to continue my interest. This story is one of them. For listeners to understand about me and myself, I'm a new migrant from Nepal to Dunedin. I came to New Zealand on 2018 January. Now I'll start my story. I'm not quite passionate about vegetable growings, but of course, I'm passionate about environmental management and conservation. During my graduate and postgraduate studies back home and my professional career, I had been involved in different environmental conservation activities. Out of many, I always knew that composting is a good starting point for a household level activity to us that journey. After I came to New Zealand, it took me a while to understand about this place and identify the areas of, to continue with my passion. I continued my passion for environmental conservation through volunteering in different environmental organizations. If you are a new migrant, I can give you some examples of that. That is conservation volunteer and trail crew with Department of Conservation and Dunedin City Council. Quarantine, quarantine island conservation activities, different community cleanups and plantation programs that are organized by different community groups, and there are so many. I always thought to start composting at my household, but for some reason I wasn't able to kick start my venture. To my sorrow, when I talked with other native volunteers in initial days, I got an impression that Rain is the detrimental factor for composting here in Dunedin. During the course of similar volunteering, I got in contact with a lady who was giving composting training. I participated there and realized it is not as difficult as it has been said in my mindset. After the training, I started sorting out degradable and non-degradable waste from my kitchen. Now I had to think for the different composting techniques. I couldn't go for the vermicompost as it would involve high cost for me and it was difficult to manage in my rented place. The only options remained now was pile composting or box composting. It would cost me money for box composting as I had to buy the box. Although it was not huge cost, I chose to escape that also and started pile composting. I started pile composting in the corner of my rented flat in a concrete bin. I guess that concrete bin must have been there at my place to put cigarette butts as it had sand in it when I cleaned it to start composting. As the concrete bin had no drainage for leachate, water was water has been my main problem, the leachates. Anyway, I piled three months of my household degradable waste in that compost bin, or concrete bin, you can say, which helped me save money 
by not buying black plastics to throw waste to the council curbside. I haven't been able to make compost till this date. After eight months of studying, I still need to sort the way out to make a good compost. But it, this has been fundamental learning for my son, who is heavily inspired by my act of trying to make compost in a closed concrete bin. Although composting was not quite successful, another good thing happened because of that act. During the co course of making compost, I had piled pumpkin seeds in the compost bin, which would otherwise, otherwise be dumped in the landfill site by Dunedin City Council. After winter was over and then sun started to rise high up in the sky, one morning I saw some pumpkin seedlings popping up in the compost bin. I was excited and so was my son. My son had recently read a book about growing pumpkins in his year one study book. He told me if we could grow pumpkins and make pumpkin soup. One day, I was trying to transport the sapling to the bigger pot. My neighbor saw me doing that and gave me pot mix to put there. I mixed the pot mix with some soil from, from the concrete bin. I also ended adding few earthworms in that, which, ha which has been helping make compost. Thanks to my neighbor and good weather in late January and February, the sampling grew very well. I could provide some of the sampling to the neighboring families as well. I planted the sampling in two different big pots which I bought from Bunnings. I also bought a 40 kg of pot mix for these big plastic pots. I involved my son with me in the whole process. He was so happy and excited about it. I have no words to express his expression of that moment. While we transferred the sapling to the new big pot, he was so happy. Although the compost has not been quite a success for me, I hope to eat pumpkin soup from my own garden with my son in few months' time. Thank you. Thanks, Anel. Sounds like you've had fun with those seedlings. And now we have Kathy. Kathy is here with her story about a good friend. Thank you, Val. My story today is a tribute to a very good friend. Dave Spate and my husband Brian met when they, were both, when they both worked for the same company. Dave was in the last year of his plumbing apprenticeship and Brian, who was a few years younger, was partnered with him to be shown the ropes. It was evident from the start that Dave was an ideas man as his imagination had no bounds. And, as Brian was never short of a few ideas himself, this established a bond between the two that lasted a lifetime. Dave loved the sea. He was a Coast Guard volunteer and went out on many a night to assist the lifeboat crew. I have to say this was mainly for practice, as the part of the east coast of England where we all lived was known to be shallow but not treacherous. That was until the night of 1953, when a storm whipped up the fury of the North Sea, flooding many areas of the coast. Worst hit was a small, very low-lying resort called Jaywick. 
a settlement with homes built on the flat terrain close to the sea. The devastating storm hit without warning in the middle of the night and was so severe that there was no means of escape for the residents except to climb onto their roofs um, as the rain and the water had flooded their dwellings below and hoped that help would come. For Dave, who was in his early 20s, this was a night like no other. He joined with the rescuers, assisting as many as he could to safety. This was only achievable by small boats. Sadly, not all could be saved, and there were 34 lives lost that night. There would have been more if it hadn't been for people like Dave, who went to help. As a friend, Dave was always there for you. He taught my husband to drive, as well as taking him on ever-increasing adventures, or sautés, as Dave called them, to collect precious material for <coughs> excuse me, what would be classed as expendable rubbish to others. But to them, they were certain it would come in handy one day. Dave was an extremely hard worker who owned his own business, and he was married with a young family, Uh, so most of his ideas had to be put on hold. It was about this time we moved overseas, but on our visits home, Dave and his wife Joan were always our first port of call. we We found Dave and his family had moved, and they were now living in the middle of what would be called a foundry. I have to say, the scene that met us when we visited them was totally bizarre. Their home now stood in the middle of what I can only describe as a scrapyard, full of old rusty machinery, a forge, iron and many other metals of all shapes and sizes. To Dave, this was a dream come true. He told us he planned on building an iron barge. Well... I mean to say there are ideas and there are ideas, but to build a 96-foot barge of iron in his own backyard was a far-fetched idea even for him. With great enthusiasm, he explained that the barge would be a replica of the barges which used to ply their trade on the River Thames in London in the early 17th and 18th centuries. These barges would sail up and down the Thames to meet sailing ships with cargoes from all parts of the world and destined for the Port of London. They were too large and too deep to navigate the shallow river, so their cargoes would be offloaded onto smaller barges. Dave explained his idea was to build his barge in four sections so that it could be transported easily by road to various exhibitions around the UK, and it would be a source of income for his and Joan's retirement. When we visited again in 1997, we saw this huge iron structure, which was clearly the outline of the barge. The bow and stern divided by a gap in the middle, with chickens running happily all around the base. The scene was hilarious, but nevertheless typical of Dave, who never let any obstacle stand in his way. Dave did build his barge with the help of his son. The barge took 10 years to complete and was then sought after by the film company which made the movie Atonement. 
This was a film that was to be made incorporating the rescue of the British and French troops off the beaches of Dunkirk. Dave's barge was commissioned by the film company to take centre stage on the beach where the troops were being rescued. How proud and excited Dave must have felt when he learnt the news that the barge would be in a film. This was beyond his wildest dreams. The film was eventually made in 2007 and won worldwide acclaim. Sadly, Dave died before the film was made, but he knew that his beloved barge would be seen by tens of thousands, if not millions, of filmgoers. This made the ten years of hard work more rewarding than anything he could have dreamt of. In the film, Dave's barge was the only barge to be seen on the beach. It represented the 30 or so barges that made it onto the beaches of Dunkirk, the barges having flat bottoms meant they could get up close to the troops and then ferry them to the larger vessels anchored offshore. These barges saved many thousands of lives. Dave's barge, British King, is a testament to a young man's skills and tenacity and a lifelong friend who we are so proud to have known. Thank you, Kathy. Dave sounds like a real character. I'm going to read one of my short stories for you now. It's called Birds of a Feather. Livy stepped up onto the station platform. Her head was pounding. Too much thinking and not enough sleeping the cause, undoubtedly. Her hastily packed overnight bag burst open as she plonked it down at the ticket window. Oh, shit. She dropped to her knees, blushing as she tucked her old knickers under a clean T-shirt and restuffed her case. Southbound leaving in three minutes, the overhead speaker crackled. Livy stood up to face the sour-faced woman in the ticket window. You'd better be quick, she spat, when Livy asked for a ticket to Melbourne. Amid the calamity of whistles and brakes, Livy made it to her seat. Two whole hours, she sighed, pushing the disgraced bag under her seat. Cripes. Her back hurt as as much as her head. She lay back on the tired upholstery, head resting on her jacket, and gazed out as as the gum trees marched past faster and faster. The motion slowly relaxed her, and suddenly tears were welling. Oh, God, don't start that now, not here. A few deep breaths, and she was soon drifting into an exhausted sleep. Louie didn't know what woke her, but her mouth was open and all shriveled. She licked her lips, trying to get some moisture back, and half opened her eyes. Oh, God, there was a pair of hands right opposite, hanging on the edge of a newspaper. Very definitely male. Oh, I bet I was snoring. She sat up as quietly as she could. One of the hands was perfectly reflected in the window. A working hand for sure, clean but ingrained and deeply tanned. A worn but polished boot lay on beige moleskin. The paper rustled as a page turned and she sat up lifting her hair off her shoulders to secure it in a tumble of curls with a hair tie around her wrist. A pair of hazel eyes had joined the hands when she looked up. They crinkled at the corners and were surrounded by an unruly sun-bleached hair and a lopsided smile. G'day, he said. Hi, Libby replied. You going to Melbourne? Yes, you? Yep, 
Matt's the name, by the way. One of the country hands moved towards her. Uh, Olivia, or Livy James, she said. As Matt's hand closed around hers, a small bird fluttered from its perch in her chest. Don't blush, don't blush. They chatted easily during the trip, Matt telling her he was hoping to organise a bank loan. He had big plans for his farm and he wanted to expand. It was so good to listen to someone who had plans. She found herself relaxing and actually laughing. How long was it since she'd done that? Livy told him the reason for her trip and afterwards thought how dull it must have sounded after all his positivity. When the train pulled into the busy station, Matt stood up. Nice to meet you, Olivia, he said. I hope your day goes well. Good luck with the bank. Um, um, I'll be at the Grand if you want to catch up for a drink later. Did I say that? Oh, God, you'll think I'm a proper twit now. Do you mean the Grand on Blackwood Drive? Yeah, that's it, she said, with the blood rushing to her face. Okay, I could be late though, I've got a bit to do. Livy watched him stride away. At the end of the platform he turned and briefly touched his hat, then disappeared. Where to, love? the taxi driver asked. The first rest home that she looked at was definitely a no-go. By the time she looked at four, she was exhausted. When the very patient taxi driver dropped her at the hotel, all she wanted was a cold shower and an even colder glass of wine. A young man with spiky black hair was sitting up when she sat down and asked for a glass of Pinot Gris. She literally slurped the first mouthful and enjoyed every millisecond that it took to slide down. Running her fingers through the condensation on her glass, she reflected on her day. Springvale was close to the station as well. I hope Beryl will be happy there. Her mother-in-law had been living with her on the farm since their husbands had not returned from a fishing trip six years ago. They had been widows together, battling on. But Livy had noticed dramatic changes in Beryl, forgetful to the extreme, and last week she had found her bathing in the smelly mud of the duck pond. It's time, Olivia, Dr. Branson had said. Beryl will be much safer in care. Maybe I should just sell up and move to town. She shuddered at the thought. Finishing her drink, she decided to walk. The park was close and the air had cooled. She knew she should be out of the park before dusk and she was hurrying to the gate after 40 minutes. On the farm, she could wander as late as she wanted. She really wasn't a townie. Black Spikes had been joined by a blonde ponytail when she got back to the bar. There were no empty stools, so she took her wine to the poolside and found a seat on the edge of the noise. But by ten o'clock she'd had enough, and thought her bed sounded better than this. The phone was ringing when she swiped her card in the door and she dashed across the room to answer it. Olivia, is that you? That bird stirred and flapped his wings at the sound of his voice. His name came out all breathless. Yeah, it's me. Sorry... Sorry, it's so late. Do you still want that drink? Sure, I'll be right down. Her mouth wouldn't work properly. That bird was flapping over time. After a quick look in the mirror, she was riding the elevator. When the doors opened, there he was. Those hazel eyes looked a bit tired, but the lopsided grin was definitely wider. As she smiled back, the little bird took off and flew around her ribcage, banging at her throat to get out. Well, it's now time for me to thank our community station OIRFM for being here, for us to be able to read our stories on air. In Literacy Aotearoa, 
Literacy changes lives. Improve your skills and find your voice at Literacy Aotearoa. Give them a call on 477-2055. Until next time, this is Val with The Basement Writers. Take ORFM Dunedin with you wherever you go with podcasts and streaming of primo local content. Download the accessmedia.nz app for free from Google Play and the Apple App Store. This programme was first broadcast on ORFM Dunedin and made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air.